Welcome back to the critically acclaimed Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer, alongside a man who needs no introduction, but deserves one anyway. He's recently been dubbed a titan in his field. Mike Wilson, back on the pod this week. Mike, uh, glad to be talking with you. I know it's been a while, but uh, been busy for you out at the out of the ballpark, I know. Yeah, well, it's it's hard being a titan of the industry. You know, you really get put put into a lot of pressure situations that way. And and let's clarify one thing: I did not declare myself a titan, nor do I consider myself a titan. But it is humorous to now throw that into the mix. And I knew where you were going as soon as you started that. Yeah, but someone does consider you a titan, and that's <laughs> and that's all that matters. Obviously, you're you're covering right now the the most exciting uh, thing in Knoxville in in the Tennessee baseball team, the number one ranked Tennessee baseball team, and and I know fans are a buzz about them. I hear from fans regularly telling me I should write more baseball columns. So instead of doing that, I figured we'd just bring you on and uh, actually talk to the man who's covering all this. Um, so with Tennessee, it's interesting because. Tennessee fans love this team. It's clear. They've fallen in love with them. Everybody else hates them. And I sense that it's more than just this is the number one team. Nobody, If it's not your team, you rarely root for number one, right? But I think it goes deeper than that. So why is this the team that Tennessee fans love and everybody else loves to hate? Yeah, that's the attitude that they have and have had for, for the last two seasons. Plus, it's kind of that us against the world mentality that they kind of carry. They're going to walk in there. They're going to try to beat you. They're going to bat flip on you. They're going to over-celebrate on you. They're going to throw a pimp coat on when they hit a home run. Uh, I mean, th- they don't mind being disliked. You know, last year, they kind of opened the season that way. I mean, Drew Gilbert had a monster bat flip in the opening series at Georgia Southern, and, and that kind of set the tone for this villainous attitude that they've really embraced. I mean, you look at, at this season at Vanderbilt, Jordan Beck's bat gets ruled ineligible, illegal, whatever you want to call it in the first inning. Well, Luke Lipsy is homers the next inning, picks up his bat when he crosses home plate, and then the stares really closely at it. Um, and the team goes wild. Like that, That's just kind of the attitude that they have. And I wrote a column that weekend that you know Vanderbilt made a mistake. They gave Tennessee a chance to be the villains, and that's kind of where they thrive. Uh, so naturally, other fan bases won't like it, but the Tennessee fans love it because it's it's their villains. It's their guys um, that are are out there ruffling feathers and, and kind of playing it a different way. To be sure, though, if there was something other than Tennessee across the uniform, like Vols fans would would hate this team, right? I, mean, uh, like, I, think, I think any fan would hate this team if it's not their team. Yeah. Um, that's the attitude that I think they want to at the same time, though. We've seen, you know, an attendance soar. It's like the, you know, the hardest ticket to to get in town at at this point, and the interest is certainly there. How serious do you think this is long term? Like, is this um, a sort of fun little distraction at, at the moment for Tennessee fans? Because obviously, this is not. It's a fan base that's that's willing to get on board with a winner. You know, they're they're ready to to roll and cheer for a winner. Uh, but it's not a traditional baseball fan base per se in, in the way that some others in the SEC are. Of course you have your diehard baseball fans that have been following this team for years, but you have others that have gotten interested more here in the last year or two with the success of this team. How devoted do you think this is? Is this a fleeting thing for Tennessee fans or do you think this this um interest could be here for the long haul? 
I think I would lean to the long haul more. And I think that's because this fan base has gravitated so heavily to Tony Vitello. Baseball is, is as cyclical as any college sport, less so than basketball, probably. But baseball typically is a three years and gone deal. Baseball guys get can get drafted out of high school and they can leave when they're 21 or after their junior year. So in the case of Blade Tidwell, he's only going to have two years at Tennessee because he'll be old enough for the draft. But Tony Vitello is here. Um, and I think there's kind of a cultish following for him, the, the program that he's built. Um, certainly some of it is the the personalities of the players on the team. I mean, guys like Evan Russell, Luke Lipsius, and Redmond Walsh have been here for six years. I think all of six, five or six years, all of them. Um, so there's a cultish following to that. I think it's here to stay, but right now, certainly there is just such a rabid fandom for it because it's the number one team in the country and it's the biggest winner that Tennessee's seen other than basketball in 2019, 2018, 2019, I believe, uh, when they were number one for four weeks. This is the biggest winner Tennessee's seen in a while. Uh, so there's obviously a natural gravitation toward it. And I think it is even bigger because obviously what they did last year, they've then come in and built on. So there's a lot of momentum going for this program right now. When the season started, it was like they could could do no wrong and just came out of the, the gates blazing hot. And they really haven't come down to earth too much except for last weekend uh, when they dropped two out of three to Kentucky. Was there anything there that told you uh, this team, you know, might be might be cooling off just a, a, a touch to the level that's maybe concerning as, as the postseason approaches? Is that just the nature of baseball? I mean, um, the idea that you're going to win every series mm-hmm. all season, I know, is not something that happens very often in baseball. But was there was there something there, I guess, for um, for more long term concern or do you just chalk it up to a, a bad series? I, I chalk it up to a bad series. I mean, Baseball is a wild game, and the fact that Tennessee is 43-6 and six is wild. Um, you lose games in a sport like baseball just because a pitcher was really good one night for the other team. Um, and it could be any team. It could have been Bellarmine, Bellarmine uh, last night, which pushed Tennessee a little bit for a minute. You just don't really know when that random game is going to happen. You can go out there and get no hit by someone you've never heard of. Uh, baseball is a funny game. The fact that Tennessee is 43-6 and six is kind of wild. Um, and the fact that, you know, one of those losses is a, is a wood bat game against Tennessee Tech, an Alabama loss with a home plate umpire that was pretty hotly disputed. And, and we saw how the rest of that weekend went. So even the losses are kind of kind of weird. But the Kentucky series was just kind of a, a wonky experience as a whole, I think. It was rainy and cold the whole weekend. Tennessee didn't look all that thrilled about being there uh, the first couple of games. And it showed you, you lose games that way. Uh, Drew Gilbert kind of last night talked about needing to come out with a fire against Georgia. And if you're talking about needing to have it, maybe you were lacking it in the last series. Um, so I'm not concerned at this point about where this team is because the, the starting pitching was still pretty darn good. Uh, I thought Chase Dolan or coming back especially was big. I'll be concerned if the Georgia series this weekend does not go well because then it's back to back. And that'll be the first time we've seen this team really struggle. Omaha is warm in June. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very. Okay, just making making sure that cold yes. weather isn't going to be a, a, a lingering concern there. It seems like every time Tennessee travels to Kentucky, I know sometimes these narratives like get blown out of proportion, but I think this is one that actually holds up. Like it seems like any time Tennessee's in Kentucky, it's cold. It's cold. It doesn't matter. Football now, baseball, yeah. like whatever, it's going to be cold in in Lexington. So. I saw the sun for about two hours uh, on Saturday in Lexington, and I thought I was somewhere else. Did you go to the Derby? I did not go to the Derby. I was at a Kentucky Proud Park, though, 
for for a long weekend of rain delays and some spades playing during uh, one of those rain delays, which I know you're proud of. Oh yeah, absolutely. When you look at at this group, is there any weakness? You know, like if if there's anything that's going to trip this team up in the postseason, other than just bad game at the wrong moment, is there an area that you think, okay, I'm not I'm not sure if this is if if, if it's going to be something that trips them up, it's going to be hitting, pitching, defense, or I mean, I know they're pretty well loaded throughout. Yes, is is there anything that gives you any concern? Yeah, my concern for probably a month has been how the young pitching will sustain, um, and it's not because I don't think the young pitching is good. Uh, Chase Burns and, and Drew Beam as freshmen are phenomenal. Chase Dolander is a sophomore who only threw about 43 innings last year at Georgia Southern. Phenomenal. But those are also guys who haven't gone through a season that plays till the last week of June. Uh, so you wonder how that goes. I think there might be some signs at points that, that Beam's worn down a little bit. He's still throwing well, but maybe not as effectively as he was in the first couple months. That's been one of my concerns about this team is how those guys hold up. Because there's still another... You know, six weeks left in this season and a lot of big time baseball. Counterpoint to my own point, Blade Tidwell coming back, Cameron Sewell's capable of starting, Xander Seacrest is proven to be a reliable midweek guy who could start in a weekend. So they've got options. But I also think when Tennessee has struggled, and this was Kentucky Friday or Thursday in the opener, because it was a Thursday opener, and the Tennessee Tech loss, Tennessee just swung at breaking balls in the dirt and had terrible at bats. Um, now, there's that theory that hitting's contagious. A couple times now we've seen it where the opposite's been contagious for Tennessee, where they've all chased breaking balls in the dirt. They've all had bad at bats. And so instead of stringing those quality at bats together, they're stringing bad at bats together. And that's how you go with one hit in your final 42 plate appearances in that Friday game and don't get a hit for, I think it was six, seven innings um, in that game. So that's a potential weakness. But at the same time, you then see a team go out and you know, slug a bunch of home runs in, in any random game. So who really knows? But those are the two things I think that, that could ultimately prove to be a problem. You mentioned that Tennessee fans have, have obviously fallen in love with, with Tony Vitello. I know around this time last year, question I was hearing, I'm sure you were hearing it a lot more um, even than I was, is this is all well and good, but is Tennessee going to be able to hang on to Tony mm-hmm. Vitello? And then, you know, after the season, he gets uh, you know, gets a new contract and that concern seems to have have quieted down so you know with that new contract with him sticking around now he has the the number one team on the on the heels of last year's success do you think that's put in the past can we say like i i want to go like all fanboy here and use the vol for life but uh do we think tony v is uh let's call it a vol for the the long term um is is he is he a Tennessee guy through and through? Is he going to be the, the the coach of this program into the foreseeable future? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but should those concerns have been put to rest last summer? Yeah, you know, I mean, he's now the, I believe, the highest paid public uh, university baseball coach in the country at 1-5, um, which certainly is enticing. But, you know, looking back, and this is going to be a very roundabout answer to your question. Uh, looking back to last year, I thought LSU was a serious concern. Uh, I mean, that's maybe one of the three three to four best jobs in the country when you're talking about college baseball jobs. Uh, and that's that's going to be intriguing for anybody. But loyalty is a big deal to Tony Vitello. And this was a place that gave him his first shot. Uh, that It's a serious thing. Uh, and I, I think I underestimated that actually last year because uh, you and I had conversations and I was like, ah, this can be more interesting than, than maybe you'd expect. I underestimated how, how big loyalty was to him. 
uh, at that point, I think. All this to say, I think Tony Vitello is locked in at Tennessee. I still would expect to hear his name linked to any major job that's open. Um, because nationally, the perception of Tennessee is going to continue to be that this is a flash in the pan until it's you know a five to ten year success run, um, and it's still going to be viewed as not a top SEC job. So anytime one of those opens up, you're going to hear Tony Vitello's name talked about because he's always going to be a hot candidate for that. Because there's still going to be some of that narrative that that Tennessee is a stepping stone or you can't win there, and some of those previous things which. Tony Vitello is very emphatically debunked, obviously. Um, but So this is to say, I think he'll be at Tennessee, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear his name thrown into big-time jobs just because that's the way that, that those things work. Um, anytime a major job is open in any college sport, you're talking about the best names that might ever be available. You're out of the ballpark all the time, so you would be the man to know. Have you noticed, is there a John Curry statue going up anywhere around – Lindsey Nelson, because Tennessee fans who, who wanted John Curry out of here so stinking fast back in uh, 2017 when his football coaching search ran off the rails and then-Chancellor Beverly Davenport said she didn't even know where John Curry was at one time when he was flying around commercial with no no uh, in-plane Wi-Fi. John Curry was a convenient punching bag at that time, but lo and behold, you look at the man who hired Tony Vitello, it was John Curry. So where's that statue at? Is that being commissioned by Danny White? Do we know? I think it might be hidden somewhere. Um, I don't think it's going to be put on public display. Really, John Curry's legacy at this point is two coaching searches. And one of them is the one that landed Tony Vitello. And the other one is obviously the most interesting week of my career, arguably. Um, We were both pretty new at the New Sentinel at that point and had a heck of a run. Uh, of all the document dumps when that happened and everything else that was going on. But yeah, I don't think there's going to be a statue, but it, it is interesting just when you look at the overall picture of the athletic department in terms of the the, the high, highest profile sports, the hires were all made by different ADs. Um, you know, Rick Barnes was a Dave Hart guy. Tony Vitello was John Curry. Kelly Harper was Philip Fulmer. Josh Heupel was Danny White. So it's kind of this, this string of ADs who have all made the hires for the marquee sports. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't, I don't know if I would have put that together. That's uh, I'm very smart. Uh, I'm a titan, if you will. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the type of analysis Titanous. you get from a, a titan in his in his field. That is interesting. <laughs> the the four headline coaches hired by four different ads. I don't think you 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 normally see that because usually the new ad comes in and at the first sign of trouble they they fire those coaches um, mm-hmm. that they didn't didn't hire. But in those sports, you know, when you look at basketball, obviously they're, they're having success. Um, you know, n- not the NCAA tournament success that I think, uh, many folks wanted, especially for the men this year, but overall those programs are having success. Baseball's having success. And so that allows you to have that, that mix. That's, that's interesting. And yeah, when you think about John Curry, you mentioned the, the two coaching searches that produced Tony Vitello. And then the other one produced John Curry's firing. And I guess the other thing was bringing back the Lady Vols brand. Mm. That was the other notable development of his tenure. So it's like he got two out of three right. And big one Vitello, wrong. Yeah, he got a big one, a big one wrong that well, he never even complete completed it there. So it's it's interesting. But from one AD to to another, you know, here in the here and now with with Danny White, how do you feel like he's got on board with this program? And I know, you know, a big question all the time is when are those facility improvements coming? And and that's not to say that there haven't been facility improvements to some degree along the way here. But I think everybody's waiting. All Tennessee baseball fans at very least are waiting for 
you know, sweeping facility improvements. Do you get any sense for for that and and just how Danny White is, has taken to the success of this program? Yeah, I mean, I know that was a, a definite conversation point during the, the contract negotiation extension, raise all that situation last year. That I think that was probably why it took so long after the season for that to wrap up and be announced. Uh, it, it's a huge deal. And, you know, we've seen that number about 60 million floated out there. The state of Tennessee has a process for bricks and mortar type projects. Like Tennessee couldn't just start busting out walls and, and putting up new new things right away, which is why you've seen the, the temporary bleachers down left field and that second party porch area. Um, but long-term, there's obviously a lot more plans to actually do bricks and mortar type updates. And that's definitely gonna include that left field section, closing that in. Um, at some point, it's gonna involve premium suites because I mean, Danny White's big on those amenities as we all know. Um, but in baseball, college baseball, that's kind of where the money is and, and where you'll make money is is off those. So yeah, there's definitely a plan there and a, and a long-term vision for it. But I think it's long-term is kind of the key thing. It's not gonna be an overnight deal um, because you can't exactly fully renovate a baseball stadium in a single off season. When Lindsey Nelson is filled to the gills, it holds what, like 45, 4,600? Around what, there. Yeah. And, and compare that for us to what you see elsewhere around the SEC, maybe for some some new Tennessee baseball fans that don't get a full sense of, of what things are, are like elsewhere. What, what do you see at other, other ballparks? Yeah, I mean, there are some stellar facilities in the SEC. South Carolina's got a beautiful ballpark. Mississippi State's got a beautiful ballpark. Uh, that's kind of the standard in this league, beautiful ballparks. I mean, they, they look like AAA ballparks, the, the good ones do, uh, minor league level, AAA type ballparks. And yeah, I mean, there's some sterling facilities and, and Lindsey Nelson lags behind it. And that's been known for a long time. It kind of got neglected for probably a decade, if not more, uh, from probably, I don't know, 2000 to 2010-ish, because I know they did some stuff right around 2012. But they, they've replaced the turf. They've done some things here and there. They've improved underneath the stadium, which you know the public doesn't get to see as much. But uh, that MVP club for the, the certain donor level or ticket level, uh, I was in there last week, and that that is much different than it was before. Um, so there's been improvements, maybe not as visible outside and in the external areas of the stadium. But yeah, I mean, SEC schools care about baseball, put money into it, and, and Tennessee is unfortunately playing catch up in that area a little bit, and. They've got the money to do some of it, but it's a matter of getting some of it done now. You're a homeowner now, so you know these improvements, they take time, they take money, they don't mm-hmm. happen overnight, you know? I mean, you're you're a mature guy, Knoxville's, mature. Most, eli- yeah, Knoxville's most eligible mm-hmm. bachelor, but also a homeowner at the at the same time, so you know all about these, these renovation projects. Yeah, you got anything going on at the house now? Yeah, you know, got to put some caulk around the shed in the backyard. Been leaking a little bit with all this rain lately, so going to tackle that probably tomorrow morning. It takes 48 hours to dry, the bottle told me. So, yeah, you know, we've, we've got some projects. We might mow the lawn today, uh, mm. maybe go tar- tarps off for the boys, but, yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. We're glad you found us here on the Volunteer State. Uh, as always, uh, we encourage you to uh, to rate, subscribe, and review uh, if you haven't already. Um, those ratings and reviews help us get in front of more listeners. And of course, with Mike joining us on the pod this week, we know that uh, want nothing shy of a five star review for a titan in the industry. Mike, changing gears, um, you know, it probably seems. A long, long time ago now, but uh, 
It was earlier this spring. You were covering Tennessee basketball and, and Rick Barnes's program and a disappointing finish to an otherwise um, exciting season. But let's project forward a little bit. Uh, it seems like Tennessee maybe has lost more than they've gained here mm-hmm. this offseason. Is that fair to say in terms of uh, where their their roster stands? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was some expected attrition. Certainly Kennedy Chandler was always a one and done guy. Victor Bailey Jr. was headed out for his last year. Hanjay Tamba wasn't ever going to be a contributor here, so he was going to be gone. I thought Quentin Dabunje was likely to go and likely to go to ECU with Mike Schwartz, which is exactly what happened. It's funny. I think Justin Powell might have been my my number one next departure. But then for a while, I thought he wouldn't leave. He's the most recent departure. Um, and Brandon Huntley Hadfield is in that mix. And he's probably the most notable non-Kennedy Chandler loss. Uh, you know, he was a five-star kid coming in, had a, had a middling and up and down freshman year, didn't seem to to fully understand what his role was and how to play within what Tennessee does. Um, I thought he was a definite threat to be a big-time post scorer and, and contributor next season um, if he kind of bought in and, you know, did the discipline things that have to be done in the offseason and, you know, weight room work, changing your body, all those those fun things we talk about with strength coaches. Um, I thought he was a, a definite guy who could contribute. Uh, he decided to transfer to Louisville. So Tennessee's lost a, a lot. Um, they still return a lot with, you know, Santiago Vescovi, Josiah Jordan-James, Olivia Kamwa, Uros Plavsic, Sakai Ziegler, and you kind of know your core. Um, but there's definitely still some question marks, I think, in terms of what the roster will look like. Uh, they've only added B.J. Edwards as a high school signee and then Tyreek Key as a transfer. So you've, you've got to get out there and add pieces. Um, Julian Phillips is the guy who's announcing his decision, I believe, May 12th. Um, and that's a five-star forward who would really change the overall look of Tennessee's roster for the next two seasons, probably. Um, but they've got to add pieces. Um, you know, they went into last last August with an extra scholarship and got Zakai Ziegler out of it. But you don't want to go in August with three scholarships and hope to find three Zakai Zieglers. Uh, that's not the kind of thing that happens. So Tennessee's got some work to do, I think, to round out that roster. What you're telling me is it sounds like a second-round NCAA tournament team. It's kind of the, the benchmark, I think. Yeah, I mean, th- this year's team definitely should have gone deeper than that. Um, but, I mean, you can talk about so you're blue in the face. The NCAA tournament's about matchups, and Michigan was the wrong matchup for Tennessee with a guy like Hunter Dickinson and Tennessee not having Olivier Kamwa. Um, then you also didn't account for Eli Brooks being Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at a couple points. So, yeah, it was a t- tough matchup. But, yeah, th- this year's team should have gone deeper than that for sure. Projecting out long-term for, for, for Tennessee basketball, like this program needs to get to a final four at some point, right? I mean, is there any reason why other than Rick Barnes has historically not been a great coach in, in the NCAA tournament, if you just look at the proof in the pudding and, and his win loss record and in March, I mean, other than that long-term, that should be the ceiling here, right? I mean, at, at the elusive final four, I know these things are, are hard to predict sometimes and, and March Madness is maybe the most um, crazy and most fun and event in college sports because you can't always predict it. But there's got to be a year where Tennessee goes to the Final Four, yes? There should be. And realistically, they've had two teams of that caliber in the past five years. Uh, this this team last year was a Final Four caliber team. They just went like maybe three for 22, two for 19 or something against th- uh, Michigan from three, which... 
I mean, they were, you know, around a 40 percent ish team in a lot of games, especially late in the season in the SEC tournament. So they had the pieces, I think you would have said this year to to reach that, especially I mean, a star point guard means a lot in March. And Kennedy Chandler was the reason they almost came back to beat Michigan. Uh, and that, that was that piece that they had. And then obviously you look at that team that we referenced earlier that was number one for a few weeks with Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Jordan Bowen, Lamonte Turner, all those guys. That team also was a Final Four caliber team that lost in the Sweet 16 in overtime to Purdue. Um, Purdue was a very good team that year too, but those are the teams you've got to beat uh, to reach a Final Four. So th- they've had those teams that are capable of it. But like you said, March Madness is, is kind of tough like that. It's, I mean, they didn't necessarily have an off night against Purdue. If I remember right, they had a bad first half and had to really rally back in the second half. They played Iowa the game before that. They went opposite directions. One game they played badly first, good second, and vice versa. Um, a titan of the industry would remember that better. So this just tells I think you, you that not, I think you had it right that. the first time. So just, Did I? Okay. I think so. No one else will remember anyway, so just act like – I, mean, I who, just remember, yeah. Who would question Halftime, one of those games, Jordan Bowden missed back-to-back free throws like right before going into halftime, and I was like, this team is toast. So maybe it was Purdue that that happened, and then they rallied back and whatnot. But um, you know, so they've had teams of that caliber, haven't reached it. My concern with this team right now is, what does the team look like in two years? Um, because they they really missed on a lot of things they wanted, I think, this offseason. And right now you're looking at roster turnover next year of Santiago Vescovi, Josiah Jordan-James, Olivier Kamwat, Rose Plavsic. And so really the only holdover you're talking about is the Kai Ziegler. Um, and, you know, Jonas Adu will be in that mix too. But right now there's a lot of question marks for me in two seasons from now, now's roster, um, just because of the, the lack of 2020 signees. Um, and now the 2023 class could be an epic recruiting class for Tennessee. They're heavily in the mix for five-star forward Justin Edwards, who's, I mean, just a wild prospect to watch. Um, one of the best out there. So they're in the mix there. But yeah, there, there's a lot of roster rebuilding that, that's got to go on in, in the next two seasons. How hard was it for you to transition from Santiago Vesco- Vescovi to Santiago Vescovi? <laughs> uh, not that hard. Uh, I've probably gotten it wrong a couple times still, but uh, at this point, it's just kind of second nature. But I've already had experience with that with Jarrett Garantano. So uh, see, I still get that one wrong. Sometimes I still yeah. call him sometimes Garantano, even though I know it's Garantano, but I feel like he waited too long mm-hmm. to correct people on his pronunciation. I love the way Vescovi did it. Like he put all the blame on a, on an ESPN broadcaster, right? Like just one day he, he was Santiago Vescovi in the pronunciation guide. And that's what, that's what the broadcast crew started calling him. Yeah. I mean, that was sort of the coming out party for Vescovi. The Connecticut tournament was when Vescovy came out and fans were freaking out on Twitter about they're saying his name wrong and turned out they were saying his name right. Um, had he told the beat crew at that point? Had no, he told y'all? No. We did not know. But, you know, I sympathize with it because people so often mispronounce my name uh, that, you know, I really understand what it feels like to have your name pronounced wrong. Yeah. Yes. Mike Wilson, you get... It's very hard. Yeah. Uh, you get some mix. You ever been called Mick? I have not. I don't think I'd like that. So please don't do that, people on the internet. We'll leave it there before people start coming up with, with your <laughs> name. For you. uh, thanks for the insight, Mike. And, and thanks for uh, discussing the hottest thing going here in, uh, in, in Knoxville. And thanks to you, listener, for tuning in to another edition of the Volunteer State.